0: How's it going, everybody? So good to be with you again. My name is Ryan Alexander, and uh, i it's just such a privilege to be a part of what God is doing here, and I welcome, welcome both of the campuses uh, now, Shakopee and Lakeville, and those of you joining us online, uh, it is a good, good morning in the Lord's house, and uh, we're, we're going to dive into this series in just a bit again, but first of all, we're going to receive our offering, so the ushers are going to come forward to receive our offering and as they're doing that, I want to thank you for your generous giving, your faithful giving in the, um, toward the ministry here at Hosanna, the vision of Hosanna, which is to multiply the hope and the heartbeat of Jesus all over the South Metro and all over uh, the world. And so when you give, you're, you're giving to that vision. You're making it possible. You're the provision for the vision. And I like to say this, when you're given to Hosanna or any local church, you're, you're not just given to an organization, you're giving to life transformation. And it doesn't get any better than that. Um, that's the best investment we can possibly make. So thank you for that. This series is called Two Arms. Two Arms. And it's a metaphor. We've been looking at this metaphor throughout the series. And, and there are two arms that God extends in Jesus Christ in this metaphor. All right, one arm is the arm of forgiveness from sin and, and guilt. The other arm is the arm of freedom. And, and in the modern Western church, we've talked a lot about this arm. The, the arm of forgiveness, forgiveness from sin, forgiveness from guilt. And that's a, a very important, it's integral. It's, it's something we should never stop talking about, but, but it's probably also true that we've underemphasized this other arm, the arm of freedom, the freedom that God offers us in Jesus Christ. It's, it's under emphasized, under communicated, right? And so we um, are communicating this arm more in this series. We're, we're talking more about this arm in the series. Freedom. Freedom from what? From the thing behind the thing. Right? And if you have just joined us through the series, we'll, we'll tell you what that is. Just join us at this point in the series. Uh, it's, it's shame. Shame. The thing behind the thing. I challenge you to look at the things you, you kind of struggle with. Those things, you know those things. Those things you think or feel or say that aren't always so helpful. And, and most of the time, virtually all the time, the thing behind the thing is, is shame. It's shame. Addiction. Anger. I was thinking about this one this past week and we've all been there, but uh, a struggle or an inability to apologize or make amends for past wrongs. What's behind that? Shame. <laughs> shame. And God wants us to be free wants you to be free from shame. And so we've been going after this, freedom from shame in this series. The first week of the series, we talked about what shame is. The second week, we talked about what shame does. And this week, we're going to talk about how we can overcome shame. Are you ready for this? How we can tame the shame in our lives. Tame the shame. Tame the shame. Now, preachers, you've heard us talk about this, but preachers, we often have to go through what we're going to preach on. Okay, which is a whole lot of fun when you're preaching a message on shame, right? Uh, but it's true. Jen would say last week she struggled more in preparation for that message than maybe she has any other message, the one she gave last week, and she, because she had to wrestle through her own shame issues, performance and perfectionism and all that shame stuff. And uh, the other reason it was tough is she, um, our three-year-old has started coming into our room in the middle of the night and uh, asking for food. You know, dads, we just pretend like we're still asleep, but moms, they, they listen. The other night he came in the middle of the night and said, I want nuggets and fries at 3 a.m. All right, so anyway, she had a lot going on, so I'm proud of her, the message she delivered last, last week. But it's true, we go through these things oftentimes so we can preach out of our own experience. So I had one of these experiences a couple weeks ago, uh, right, the, right at the beginning of this series, first week of this series, Monday morning. I came downstairs and my boys uh, were there already, of course, and they, they said, dad, there's a dead animal in our backyard. And, and I need to be just honest because this is a shame series. We've got to bring it all out into the light. Uh, my first thought was, it's the dog. And, and the honest part is I had mixed feelings about that, Right? Because, I mean, I, we, you know, we love our dog, but he's 14, he's lived a long life, and I've been picking up after him for 14 years, all right? So there would be pluses and minuses there. But anyway, okay, that's awful, but I'm confessing, I'm being honest. But it wasn't a dog. They said, we think it's a rabbit, we think it's a rabbit, and we think it was attacked by a wild animal. I said, you better tell your mom. <laughs> and they kind of looked at me like, aren't dads supposed to take care of those things? So I was like, oh yeah. So I went out there, and, and, and it hadn't been attacked by a wild animal. Actually, the wild animal was a sports net. Okay, sports net, we have these sports nets in our backyard and it had fallen, the grass was tall, it had fallen below the grass line and so this rabbit had hopped through our yard into that net never to hop again, all right, because it got stuck and it got all tangled up and, you know, 27 different ways tied up in there and and it, it lost its life in the sports net. I know some of you are, you're animal lovers, you're thinking, oh, fluffy, okay, this is a wild rabbit, okay? I know you're still animal lovers, it doesn't help, but just don't think fluffy from your Easter basket when you were a kid. And, uh, and then some of you are thinking, hey, Sportsnet, hadn't thought about that. <laughs> and so I would, also, I would also say just settle down, it's not the best way to catch, you know, wild animals in the backyard, trust me, okay? And, and then some of you are going, is that, you know... You're deep thinkers, theologians, and you're going, would God take the life of a rabbit for the sake of a sermon illustration, right? And uh, the answer to that question is, I have no idea, <laughs> but, but I think the, the illustration works. And I really wrestled with it because it's kind of a disturbing illustration. And I was like, ah, oh, do I share this? And God's response was, yeah, share it because shame is that disturbing. And it's that deceptive. And it's that invisible at times. See, this is what happens with shame in our lives. We're kind of walking through life unsuspecting. There's this invisible net. We step into it. We get snagged. We, we try to get out of it ourselves, untangled ourselves, and we get all caught up in there. And the more we try, the more tangled up we get. I mean, that, that's how shame works. And I want to underscore, emphasize that the invisible nature of it. Because some of you, I said the first week of the series, it's not one out of four people that struggle with shame or two, it's four out of four. It is universal to the human condition to have some struggle with shame. But some of us are still going, I don't see. And here, here, here's what I want to say to you. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Just because you can't, if you are a boater, I know some of you are putting your boats away and you're sad about that, but you your boater, what's the biggest threat to your boat when you're out there? The things you can't see. Underneath the surface of the wall, shame is like that, and we experience shame like that. Oftentimes, we step into it, we get all tangled up, even to the point where, like this this rabbit, we get wrapped up in it twenty seven different ways, and starts to choke the life right out of us. It's it's disturbing. It's it can be it's destructive. Shame, and I want that to kind of land here, and it's something that all of us need to be more aware of in our lives if we want to be as free. This arm free as God created us to be. Now the good news is we don't have to stay stuck. We don't have to stay tangled up. Uh, there, there is a way to tame the shame in our lives. You know, and there, there are lots of examples of this in the Bible. And I, I, I'm looking for it now. Before I didn't really look for it, but now you start thinking about shame, you see it all over the place in the Bible, you see stories of people who, who are struggling with shame and overcome or tame shame in their lives, all the way back to the garden, Adam and Eve. First result of, of sin is what? Shame. They go and hide. We heard stories last week of, of Nicodemus, Nick at night, right? And, and the woman at the well. And then the disciples, they hide and, and they deny, Peter denies Jesus and he's ashamed of that and he hides. It, it's throughout the Bible, but the solution <laughs> We have, a lot of people who talk about shame, but we have the solution. Come on, somebody, in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Lots of stories, lots of stories, but I wanna tell you a story maybe you haven't heard before. Um, Maybe a story that that you can impress your friends with for all of you who play Bible trivia. You play Bible trivia? That's intense if you do. But anyway, um, this this is a story maybe you you, you haven't heard before. And it's the story of Mephibosheth. Everyone say that with me. Mephibosheth. Nice try. <laughs> we'll get there. Mephibosheth, it's a tough name to say, but part of Mephibosheth's story can be found in, in 2 2nd Samuel chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. The words will be on the screen too. But I want to tell you a little bit about Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was the grandson of King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel. And he was the son Mephibosheth was the son of Jonathan. And Jonathan was the firstborn of Saul. Mephibosheth was the firstborn son of of Jonathan. So there's a direct line of succession to the throne here, to Mephibosheth, see? And so he, up until five years old, is, is sitting at, eating at the king's table. He eats at the king's table. He is, he's a future king. He is royalty. And then five years old, what happens? David, who will later become king of Israel, conquers King Saul's army. Saul, Mephibosheth's grandpa, and Jonathan, his dad, are killed in battle. And so the rest of all the women and children have to flee the, their, their homes because King, future King David's army is, is coming and, and, and conquering. And while they're fleeing, Mephibosheth's nurse grabs him, runs with him, and, and while they're running away, escaping, drops him and damages his feet like significantly. To the point where he is left lame in both feet for the rest of his life, unable to walk on his own, unable to be independent. He's dependent on others for the rest. But in some ways, like a boy for the rest of his life. You see the shame in his story. But It's where the shame starts. It's not where it ends. He's left an orphan. He's uh, he's from a displaced, disgraced family which they were once the most powerful family in the land. And you know who's the only people that are lower than the lowest on the totem pole? Uh, the people who used to be at the top who get knocked down. Right? If you're following in the news right now, Harvey Weinstein used to be the king of Hollywood and he's gone through, I mean, low of the low. That's where, that's where Mephibosheth's family is. You just feel the shame almost, you start to feel it. His name, Mephibosheth, it, the root word for, that his name comes from, guess what it means? Shame. I mean, his name is shame. His, his name can be translated out of the mouth of shame or son of shame. He, Mephibosheth, if there was ever a story about someone who was all tangled up and, and, and stuck in shame, it was Mephibosheth. And unless someone, a champion, a rescuer, a, 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 a redeemer comes along, he is he is stuck in his shame, feeling like, and, and some of you can relate to this. Am I gonna say stuck in this forever? Am I gonna just always be, he can, can't even imagine the possibility of being unstuck. That's how Mephibosheth would have felt. You have a sense for that now? Well, a champion comes along and his name is David. And we're gonna, we're gonna look at this story here and I lost my place, so I gotta find it again. Here we go, Okay. Verse one. One day, David asked, "Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake?" I need to explain the relationship between David and Jonathan. Remember, Jonathan is Mephibosheth's Mephibosheth's, uh, father, and Jonathan and David had a very complicated relationship. See, Saul, who was previous king, was David's rival, but but Jonathan, Saul's son, and David were best friends. Best of BFFs, okay? And in fact, they promised each other that if anything happened to either one of them, that they would take care of the other's family. And that's what happens here. It's like, is there anyone who's left from Jonathan's family? And guess who's left? The one who's lame in both feet, Mephibosheth. Verse six, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant don't be afraid David said I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father Jonathan I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table see that Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead rabbit like me doesn't say rabbit does it, it says dead dog but that that's where he that's where shame has left Mephibosheth. It's like I, I'm a I'm a dead dog. I mean, why are you even talking to me? I, I'm so tangled up in shame. I am so lost in shame. I am so dead in my shame. You shouldn't even be noticing me. And and we hear that in in our 21st century worldviews, we think, man, he should go to a self-esteem like workshop or something. <laughs> And I could go off here, and I'm not going to, but I I would say he needs way more than self-esteem. He needs esteem from one who is greater than him. I think part of the problem right now in today's society, why people are getting all tangled up in shame. Because we think we can find that esteem in ourselves. We can't. We just keep getting tangled up in it. We need esteem from one who is greater than us. Mephibosheth, he, he understands. He sees... The reality of where he is i wouldn 't I would challenge you to see it that way. not he needs to go to a self esteem workshop, but he understands what shame has done to him. he, I, he can identify it, he can acknowledge, yes, yeah, shame has kind of left me tangled up in a big old mess but David comes and intervenes and brings him back to the table. And then we read this in verse 11. It says, and from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own sons. (laughs) I mean, are you following this? This is an incredible story And, and see the full circle, right? Here's, here's little Mephibosheth. He's five years old. He's eating at the king's table. Everything changes. He you know, falls into this deep, deep pit of shame. And, and, then, and then David comes along, invites him back to the king's table. Different king, but still the king's table. And because of that, and eating regularly at the king's table, he begins to overcome the shame in his life. He begins to tame shame. You see this? I mean, I... I love this story, but here's the, here's, the, here's the thought that I have about this story more than any other. If Mephibosheth's shame can be tamed, what shame can't be? I mean, who cannot have their shame tamed? If Mephibosheth can have his shame tamed, then whose shame cannot be tamed? Because he was like a lost cause for shame. Don't ever feel like you are a lost cause in shame because of the story. There's hope. There's a possibility of overcoming, of taming shame because of the story. You know, other scholars think that his name doesn't mean out of the mouth of shame or son of shame. They, they, they interpret it as shame scatterer or shame destroyer, Mephibosheth. <laughs> I like that. So what a story he goes from being lost in shame, snared and all snarled up in shame to overcoming. What can, we, what can we learn from this story? A lot. Here, let me just name a couple things. One, we have to learn if we're going to tame the shame in our lives and experience freedom from shame in our lives. We have to name the shame. Name the shame. Here's here's how I'll say it. This will help you remember. We will never tame the shame unless we learn to name the shame. Unless we learn to name it. Four out of four people, all of us, different for all of us, a lot of it's below the surface, invisible to us, but learning to name it. Part of it is learning to hear that voice of shame that we talked about the first week of the series. That voice that says, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You know, you'll never be enough. You gotta be perfect. You gotta hold it all together. Don't let them see you sweat, right? voice says, you're rejected. You're rejected. That's shame. We hear the voice and we begin to, to name it in our lives. Well, oh, that's not truth. That's shame. Part of learning to name the shame is identifying triggers. Everyone say Triggers. Triggers, triggers, really important to learn how to, to identify triggers for shame, if we're going to name it. What are those triggers? Those things that, that cause us to think, act, feel, we can feel it when it happens. There's a, there's a what and a how with triggers. What causes the trigger? And then how do we, how do we react when, when it's triggered, when shame is triggered? I'll just tell you what some of my what's are. What are the things that, that trigger shame for me? If I feel like someone's trying to prove me wrong and I gotta be right, my shame's been triggered. Who says you have to be right all the time? Shame. If I start to feel like I'm out of control in my life and for whatever reason, who says you have to be in control? Shame. If I, if I sense that I'm being compared to somebody else or you know, people are compared, what gets, what gets triggered for Shame. Because who says you have to be compared to anybody else? There's no one else like you, but it's shame. When, when, when I start to feel like I'm being separated from the ones I love and I hear this message, you're gonna be alone, you're gonna be alone. <laughs> Who says you're gonna be alone? Shame. See, and you gotta do some deep digging on this stuff and I've been at it for a while. I don't have it all figured out. I've been at it for a while and you gotta get to the deeper, deeper layers here. But you know what is easier to see even now because people can see it in you when your shame gets triggered, they can see it. I can see it right now, Some of you. <laughs> Because you either one of three Fs—you either fight, flight, or you freeze when your shame is triggered. It's like a physiological response. You start to fight. If you're fighting or you're in an argumentative mood, you're, you're bickering. There's shame behind it. Got to be right. Got to be right all the time. You know, shame. If you're overextending yourself, or it's shame. Now, if if you if you're flight or fleeing, that's shame too. You're hiding. You know, I want to get away. Right? The, the Southwest Airlines commercials. Got to get away. <laughs> Or you freeze, what does that look like? You know, you know what this is like. Like you're talking to people and you're usually pretty articulate and pretty put together and then your shame gets triggered and all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> you're like, I can't talk. You're suddenly stupid. That's shame, right? Because your shame's been triggered. It happens to all of us. People around you can see it. Just ask them, how do you know when my shame's been triggered? <laughs> They'll tell you. And, and here's Why? Because shame makes us lame. It makes us all lame. It's not just Mephibosheth. It makes us all lame in some way, shape, or form. Relationally, emotionally, spiritually, it makes us, makes us lame. And left to our own you know, devices, we all, some, sometimes we don't even see it. That's when it's the most dangerous the most destructive is we don't even see it. It's below the surface. We are all wrapped up in it. So we can, we can name the shame and then, but once we start to name the shame and identify it and recognize we can't get out of it on our own, then we can start to experience the untangling of shame. I love that, that Mephibosheth ate regularly at the Lord's table, regularly, that Hebrew word means continuously or perpetually, uh, he would come to the, to the king's table, the king's table. And, and you can see how over time, continuously, perpetually, he goes from, I'm a dead dog in my shame, I'm a dead rabbit in my shame, I'm a dead man in my shame, <laughs> to after sitting at the king's table, day after day, meal after meal, be like, no, that's not my identity. Remember, shame's about identity, about <laughs> who you are, your worth. <laughs> and, and you come to the king's table enough times, and it starts to change things. It starts to change your identity, who you, who you see yourself to be. And it is a process. Make no mistake about it. It's a process of untangling the shame. And I want to encourage you in that because it's not a quick fix. It's not something that happens overnight. And there are lots of steps you can take. We've listed a lot of resources in the, in the program, next steps you can take. But at the core of all of it is this idea of not just hearing the, the, the lies and the messages of shame, but coming to the king's table over and over again and hearing a different truth about who you are. You, you are like, just like one of the king's children in Jesus Christ. You, you're invited, come, sit here. You're a son, you're a daughter of the king. You think that'll change your identity and your sense of who you are? Absolutely, over time as we do that. And you're invited to. And then at some point along the way, like Mephibosheth, like this, I mentioned this the first week of the series, at some point in my life, I woke up one day, so to speak, and I was like, hey, shame is kind of in the rearview mirror for me. And it still pops up every once in a while, but, but I, I don't feel like beholden to shame or a slave to shame like I used to be. <laughs> that can be true of you. We can begin to tame the shame in our lives. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how we have... Um, had a subject matter expert come alongside of us for this series, helping us prepare this series. Uh, he, his books is available and in in, in to you. It's in your program. We'd love for you to check that out. Uh, but he's also here today, and he's gonna come up and talk a little bit about his experience, both in his own life and as a teacher and as a pastor, of helping people tame the shame. Would you welcome Robert Walter to the stage? Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's where I want, to, I want to start is saying thank you because uh, you have directly impacted me with your ministry and your work and, and through me and our preaching team, uh, this whole congregation ways they don't even know yet and they haven't heard from you. Uh, but, but so thank you for the impact and the influence you've had on us already. It's, it's my pleasure. Thank you for writing this book. Thank you for making it short so us guys can actually get through it um, in a couple of times. And thank you for devoting your life to this important topic. Uh, because I think we're all realizing it's way more important than we realize. Amen. So just start by telling us a little bit about your your story and, and how you came to this point of, okay. of being a subject matter expert on shame.
1: Well, I sometimes feel like I, my shame says sometimes I'm not an expert, but uh, I have learned a lot studying it over the last several years. It uh, started 25 years ago, and I started wondering, where where's the joy in the church? Uh, and I thought, we've got the greatest message of all, but where's the joy? And I know for myself, it, uh, it wasn't just about people out there, but it was about me too. And I thought, who am I? And I could never get that sense. God loves the world, but does he love me? And uh, some of that comparison you're talking about really took hold in my life. I was born uh, in a big family and I'm an identical twin. And you know what that's like, maybe, or maybe you don't know what it's like because you're not an identical twin, but people compare you anyway, but even more so when you're an identical twin. And one does better than what happens to the other one. And in my case, when my family moved from one school system to another, I was in a school system where my brother and I, separate classes, but still top dogs. But when we went to this new school, we were both put in the high-level class, and yet, for some reason or another, I couldn't cut it. And so the next semester came, he went on high-level, and I got dropped down a couple levels. And that may seem insignificant, but it spoke a, a message to me. Shame was using its voice real loud and clear and saying, you're not smart enough. Hmm. That not enough message that has so much to do with shame. And it took me a long time striving at first, like that rabbit in the net to get free, trying to establish myself through accomplishments, achievements, before I realized it's never going to cut it. And I had to find my my identity as a son of God in my father in heaven. Hmm. The one who made me is the one who knows me. And I had to spend time with him to discover that, who I was.
0: Amen. That's good. And you've, so you've experienced it and, and your life message comes out of your own personal experience. And one of the, one of the um, ideas or concepts that struck me in your book was that along the way you learned to speak your shame. And that's part of taming shame, overcoming shame. Not unlike identifying the triggers. Kind of gives us some, yeah. some power over that um,
1: experience. Tell us about speaking your shame okay. and what that means. Okay, exactly. It um, Seems like the last thing you'd wanna do, you know, when I'm in shame... I want to I hide. But contrary to what you might think, the thing you fear the most, talking about it is the thing that can help you the most. And so we, first of all, we need to speak to ourselves. We need to knowledge. Hey, I've got this problem. It's not somebody else's problem and I'm dealing with it right now. And it, that single step, that one step, sounds very simple, but it actually has a lot of benefit because it stops the runaway thinking. Shame causes us to think we just go into some uh, fatalistic type of thought and it stops the avalanche of emotion and helps us to get back in our right mind again. So just saying to myself, oh, I'm feeling horrible. This feels like shame. That alone helps to stop the flood of emotions and help us to get back to our right self. So that's one thing. Secondly, you can speak to somebody else. If you're fortunate enough to have a good friend that you trust, someone that won't take your story and smear it all over you're really blessed, because when you can share your shame story, when you can share your real story, your real life with somebody else, there's something very healing that happens there. You find that you're not rejected as you thought you might be. You're accepted. You're still loved. You're still part of the crowd, and you realize, wow, I'm not alone, and that in itself is very healing. But there's a third way we can speak our shame, and that's to speak it directly to God, and again, this seems contrary to what you might expect. I know some people thought, well, if I don't have anything good to say to God, I can't really talk to God. Doesn't he just want praise and an honor? The reality is God knows all about what's happening inside. And we see testimony of that in the Psalms because one third of the Psalms are, it seems like a rant against God. You know, you've got people in there that are all messed up, may not be shame, but anger and other things. I always wondered, why didn't the heavenly editor cut those out? <laughs> but I realize now they're written there for us. That's yeah. kind of our song. We can, we can rant if we need to to God. We can speak our shame to God. And in the process, something miraculous happens. He speaks back. Mm-hmm. And he speaks to us about who we really are. That's good. That's good. Well,
0: there's so much we could talk about. I'd love to hear you talk for just a bit about joy and the impact that joy has on,
1: on shame. Yeah. Um, Joy is an amazing thing, and uh, it's so healing. When you look through the scripture, it's one of the words that's contrasted most often with shame. And we know that verse from the Bible that says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, you know, we can just say that rolls off your tongue, but there's really neurological truth behind that axiom. And the neurological truth is that shame and joy cannot coexist in the same time, at the same place, in the same person. So when you're experiencing joy, shame... There's nowhere to be found. And same thing with shame. When you experience shame, uh, where's, where's the joy? Well, the way God set up our brain is that we can be overwhelmed by painful emotions like shame, and we, and we can just lose our thoughts. We can lose ourselves. But joy has executive control over the instinctive and emotional parts of our, drain, of our brain. And so when we experience joy, whether it's from another person or whether it's from God, Him delighting in us, it puts shame on notice and it sends it to the door. And so joy is really important and we might be tempted to find joy in sources that are really not true or not healthy, uh, but we can find the real joy source, the real joy spring, Jesus, then that brings the healing very deep. Amen. Well, we are, we are so grateful, Robert,
0: for all that you've brought to us. Would you show your appreciation for Robert right now? And some of you are thinking you'd like to hear more from Robert. Maybe you're thinking, I should just leave and he should stay up here. I don't know. But here's, here's how you can hear uh, more from him. Uh, he's going to be at the Freedom Story course in Lakeville only this week because he has to fly out on Tuesday. Uh, but, but he'll be here. Um, for the Freedom Story, you can come. Even if you're not registered for the class, you don't have to register, just come for that night. It's at 6.30 on Monday if you wanna come and, and hear Robert talk more about this important topic. He also, I would encourage you to check out his book, to check out the website that he has on God's trail. And on that website, you can link to a document that is 17 ways to stop shame in our lives. See, we wanna look for that next step, that next step toward untangling the shame in our lives. You know, I'm sitting there with Robert. I can't help but think of our theme verse for this series, Psalm 34, Psalm 34, five. Those who look, those who look to God will be radiant with joy. <laughs> I can see that on Robert's face. I can sense it from him that no shadow of shame will darken their face. And when we look to God, he's always ready. He's always ready to, to patiently, gently, lovingly help us get untangled from the way that shame has affected us or kind of held us back, keeping us from being as free as we could possibly be. You want to hear the rest of the rabbit story, don't you? I know you do. I waited a couple of days for Jen to take care of it, but she didn't. So <laughs> so then I found two I'm not making this up. Two pairs of gloves, okay? And I went out there, and in order to get that thing, it was wrapped up 27 different ways. I had to very slowly, very meticulously, very gently, patiently, untangle the rabbit from the net. And after, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour or so, I finally got the thing free. And, and this is where the illustration has its limits because what I couldn't do, it, I got it free, but what I couldn't do at that point was... Make it come back to life. But, but but God can. God can. He takes us from our shame, all tangled up, and, and he very carefully, gently, meticulously, lovingly untangles us strand by strand. You know, piece by piece over this process, this journey of overcoming or taming shame in our lives, and then we're free, and then he says, he can say this, now, run, go, you're alive. Don't just go through the motions, breathe, be alive, be as free as I created you to be, go. You got one life to live. I mean, I want you to be set free from the shame that you've been entangled in, that you've been held back by. You're free. Your story, there's so much hope. I hope you hear that. That, that shame, you heard it in Robert's story. You've heard it in my story. You've heard it in Jen's story. You, you can be free. Shame can kind of be in the rearview mirror. It can be your story. But if it's gonna be your story, your story has to start Here. It has to start with this thought. We are Mephibosheth. You are Mephibosheth. I am Mephibosheth. Shame has made us lame in some way. We're stuck in it. We're caught in it. We're tangled up in it. And the only hope that we have to be set free from shame is a champion, a a rescuer, one who can cover our shame. Just like Mephibosheth had David. We don't have David. But we have the son of David. We have the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus. And he has come. He has come to deliver us, to untangle us, to set us free from our shame. Two arms, forgiveness and freedom on the cross. Two arms, victory in the resurrection. Two arms today saying "Hey." You are welcome at the king's table. You can come eat at the king's table continuously day after day after day and hear the message that you are not a dead dog or a dead rabbit or a dead man or a dead woman. You are the beloved of God. You are a king <laughs> in waiting. You are, you are the son or the daughter of the most high king. That's your worth. That's your identity in Jesus Christ. You eat at that table day after day, and one day you'll be going, hey, my shame, it's been tamed, and I want that to be your story, and, and we're going to sing that song, remember that song we were singing earlier, running out of the darkness into the glorious light, I actually heard that song a couple weeks ago, and I said, we got to sing that, music team always loves that when I say that, two weeks ago, but we're going to sing that song because it captures so much of what we've been talking about this series. So we're gonna sing that again. Before we do that, I wanna pray. Would you please stand? I wanna pray that you would be as free as you were created to be. Let this land for you personally right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have come as our redeemer, as our rescuer, as our champion, the one who, the only one who can set us free from our shame. Lord, help us to identify it and name it. Help us to get untangled and help us to tame it in our lives that we might live more free so we can run out of the darkness in our lives into the glorious light of your love and your acceptance, your unconditional, eternal embrace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.